This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to Saver Production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have for you a classic fall-themed episode about pumpkin. One of the great loves of my life. Yeah? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. Um, I haven't carved my pumpkin yet, have you? No, I haven't. Um, I haven't done my whole, like, like fall. It's been so warm yeah. here. Today that we are recording this is literally the first day that mm-hmm. the temperature has been anywhere near fall-like. According yeah. to me, I had to go back inside and get a jacket before I left. A jacket? A jacket! Sweater weather? What? Wow. So, yeah. Um, uh, because, A, we, we you know, this this is a older episode from way back in our food stuff days. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and B, yeah, pumpkins. Good times. So much to be said. There, oh my heck, there is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I guess it's just been kind of like in my head since we did our turnip episode yeah. and did that rerun of the Stingy Jack mm-hmm. telling. So you get to listen to that again if you want to. Or skip past it. Or do what you want. I can't tell you what to do. I think you should definitely listen again <laughs> and then send in your, <laughs> your take yes! of it. Oh, that would be so good. Yes. Huh. As you know, Lauren and I love anything that's kind of spooky, creepy, mm-hmm. all that realm. So uh, we would love that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to let former Annie and Lauren take it away.
Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today, it's the pumpkin episode. Yes, but don't roll your eyes and click away just yet. No, don't. I know it's pumpkin everything and it's kind of an overdone trend at this point, really, but... Oh, yeah. It's, pumpkin is really interesting when you think about it because it's a food and a decoration. Mm-hmm. And it feels kind of new to me. I mean, does it feel new to you? Apart from now we're reaching saturation point, but yeah, yeah. Newish. Aside, well, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 got such a long history. It's one of the first cultivated foods in ever. North America. Yeah, yeah. And we just—I feel like in the United States we haven't been eating it that long, and we still kind of don't utilize we, we, it. We kind of go back and forth about it. Yeah, there we have periods of eating it, and then nah. Just, uh, just yeah. table decoration. <laughs> it's, it's really – okay, so I, I checked Google Trends, and the search graph for pumpkin is just hilariously peaked. Um, every October, the searches spike like 1,900%. That is quite a percent. Versus the rest of the year. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Um, we hit peak pumpkin searches, by the way, in 2013. It's peak never pumpkin search. Uh-huh. <laughs> searches for pumpkin spice, meanwhile, have been trending upward – since Google started recording data in 2004 with really huge uh, yearly jumps again in October, uh, starting starting in 2012, mostly. Um, also, no one outside of the United States and Canada gives a single fig about pumpkin spice anything, according to Google. So oh, really? Yeah. It's just a low, steady burn, no uh-huh. trend. Yeah. I like the measurement of fig as well. We should adopt that. <laughs> How many figs do I give? Three figs. Three figs. I like pumpkin. Yeah. Um, so Actually, let's talk about it. Let's let's do that thing. Uh, if you're if you're from the United States, anyway, that the word pumpkin probably evokes a really specific image, like a large squash that has this hard, smooth, ribbed, orange-colored shell that's harvested in the fall. But the term can actually refer to this really ridiculous number of different species and cultivars within that species. Um, cultivars being strains that have been bred by humans for specific properties. They're all in the genus Cucurbita probably. Um, And uh, most are in the species Cucurbita pepo, which is actually just this tremendously huge category. Uh, Technically, zucchini, aka courgette for many of our European listeners, is the same species as pumpkin. Really? Same species. They don't look anything alike. Nope. (laughs) Cultivars. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, Squash in general are are categorized as summer or winter varieties based on when they're harvested. The the summer types like zucchini have soft skins and soft seeds and are harvested in the summer. The winter types tend to have these hard kind of gourdy skins, which are natural preservers. Um, If you keep them in a cool, dark place, they'll hold up for at least two months without any kind of intervention. And um, the, the seeds are a little bit harder, too. They should generally be cooked in some way before you consume them. Yeah. But what is it? What is it? Well, a pumpkin is a fruit. Botanically speaking, oh. a berry actually, what? like tomatoes, uh, they're they're the ovary of the pumpkin flower that has grown large enough to contain, protect the growth of, and hopefully distribute lots of seeds. Uh, the, these flowers and their resulting fruit grow on vines, and the fruit gets really big if you give them enough resources to do so. The biggest on record is from a Belgian grower in 2016. His pumpkin weighed 2,624 pounds. AKA like 1,190 kilograms, AKA just a little bit less than a Honda Civic. 
Whoa. So you and I both have Honda Civics, and I'm just trying to imagine replacing my Honda Civic with, with a, a big pumpkin. pumpkin. <laughs> the weight being similar, that is enormous. We could certainly both fit with cargo room inside of one of these pumpkins. Mm, might oh, be yeah. worth looking into. Talk about Cinderella, right? Yeah. Pumpkins um, are grown all over the world, by the way. Uh, the only continent they can't grow on is Antarctica. Well, and I mean, I suppose that indoors in a greenhouse, you could probably make it happen. Probably. I guess not too much grows in Antarctica when you think about it. Yeah. Um, and they're grown for multiple uses, animal feed, decoration, and human feed consumption. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they grow during a single season. Uh, seeds planted in late spring will mature to full fruit by fall. This reminds me, I have a friend who angrily threw her jack-o'-lantern once, like, <laughs> and it still had oh, seeds no. in it, uh-huh. and she ended up growing, like, several pumpkins, which oh, I wow. thought was kind of bizarre because I feel like I've thrown pumpkin seeds out and nothing's happened, but maybe she had the right— Just had the right conditions for it. <laughs> the right velocity of throw, and <laughs> it just worked out, I guess. And uh, like we kind of hit on it, it's kind of a new trend in the U.S., but I've seen pumpkin in grocery stores and in both sweet and savory dishes when traveling, especially in Asia and Australia. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I saw it in a store in Australia, it was just in chunks, like packaged chunks. Um, And you can find small whole pumpkins in Japanese savory dishes like tempura, um, roasted like any other vegetable in Australia and New Zealand as a sweet in India and the Middle East, in pastas in Italy. In places like China and Kenya, the leaves are steamed and eaten. Mm -hmm. Pumpkin and squash blossoms are very popular in Mexico and the southwestern U.S. You find it, and most parts of it used every which way, from super sweet candies and tamales. I've even heard there's a tour through Mexico where you just go and try all the different types of pumpkin. All the different calabazas. Yes, exactly. That sounds delicious. Um, And there's this pumpkin soup I still regret not trying. I was hiking in the Andes in Peru, but I got altitude sickness. Oh, no. The one day they served pumpkin soup. Oh, no. And they served it in the pumpkin. And I love pumpkin and soup. And I was so upset, but there was no way. No No way. way. Mm. I was like seeing spots. Oh and no! Falling slowly out of my chair. No. Oh, next next time. Next time. Next time I'm hiking in the Andes, I will not get altitude sickness. Certainly not on pumpkin soup day. Yes, of all the days. <laughs> <laughs> the pumpkin industry is having a bit of a heyday in the U.S. Pumpkin production went from around a seventy-five million dollar industry in two thousand one to a $143 million one in 2014. Ooh. That's quite the jump. Yeah. And most of the pumpkins we're buying in the store are the big Halloween pumpkins that we think of. Yes. Generally. The big orange ones. Yeah. And then the second type you're most likely to uh, encounter in a grocery store is a processing pumpkin. Processing pumpkin. Yes. Which I believe uh, is so named because a majority of them end up in processing plants where their flesh is processed, canned, and shipped to grocery stores as pie filling, pie filling, <laughs> or the like. So that sounds kind of horrifying. Yeah. The, the use of the word flesh generally. Ooh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Most pumpkins, canned or otherwise in the U.S., also come from Illinois. In oh. 2015, Illinois led the way in U.S. pumpkin production with 318 million pounds of Ooh. pumpkin produced. 
Also, the seeds. Uh, pumpkin seeds are eaten as snacks, roasted usually, either by themselves or uh, as ingredients and in stuff like uh, like granola. They're also processed into seed oil, which can be used in cooking as a health supplement of dubious health property, yeah. um, and in beauty products. The global pumpkin seed industry is reportedly growing fast for all y'all investors out there. I know there's so many listening and like, I got to get in on this pumpkin business. Right now. <laughs> uh, pepitas, by the way, are a type of pumpkin seed that comes from a particular varietal of pumpkin that produces seeds that do not have hulls. Um, so, so they're the, the little green kind of thing. That's a that's a hullless pumpkin seed. The mm-hmm. the white variety that you'd find in your carving pumpkins have the hull on them. That's right. the hull part. Yeah, um, they're especially popular in Mexico, where uh, where cucurbita pepo originated as both a snack and a recipe ingredient, um, either whole or ground up into a nice little paste. I do love pumpkin seeds. I have oh a pretty, yeah, I have two. I have a sweet recipe and a savory recipe. Very good. I've never made a sweet recipe work. Uh, anyway. Anyway, yes. Also, the canned pumpkin is probably mostly not pumpkin, but oh. other squashes. Yeah. At least, yeah. If you look on the back, it says. Um, but a lot of in a lot of instances. United States canned pumpkin is mm, some other kind of winter squash. Yeah. There's usually a little bit of pumpkin in there, but mostly not. Our grocery stores are lying to us again. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so that's briefly what pumpkin is. But let's talk about the history of pumpkin as a food because this is a food show. We're, we're also going to talk a little bit about the history of pumpkins as decoration. Well, yeah, you can't not talk about it. I mean, absolutely. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. hmm yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. 
Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Mm -hmm. So, the oldest evidence archaeologists have found of pumpkins comes from the Oaxaca Highlands of Mexico, dating back 7,500 years. Pretty long time. Yeah. Where they discovered the domesticated pumpkin seeds. And these early pumpkins were most likely a lot smaller and bitterer, (laughs) but they were really durable and they could survive the winter. Because of this, they were probably some of the first crops consumed in North America, and the Native Americans would pound strips of pumpkin flat and weave them into mats, so not just for food. Mm -hmm. Um, But they would also eat the dry strips for consumption. Yeah. Pumpkin's so interesting. Yeah. Supposedly, if you you just boiled them, they, they tasted quite pleasant. Yeah. They'd roast them. They'd roast chunks of pumpkin over fires, bake them, dry them, grind them up, and use them as flour. Very versatile. Um, pumpkin seeds were a favorite of the Aztecs, and the Mayans would cook the fruit into sauces, toast and grind up the seeds, and use the dried-out empty pumpkins to drink out of, or as bowls or other storage containers, which I never considered, but yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> totally container-shaped. Yeah. Huge, huge history of gourds as containers. <sighs> Love it. With the advent of maize to the region, farmers discovered the benefits of the Three Sisters Formation, which I've never heard of. The Three Sisters here are squash, maize, and beans, and like any good sisters, they help each other grow. Oh, how sweet. I know. So they're good sisters. Uh, (laughs) The beans grow up and along the corn stalks, using them like a natural trellis and the bean roots. They release nitrogen into the soil, which is beneficial for the corn. The pumpkins and or squash vines provided shelter for the roots and kept the moisture in the soil. Ah. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty sweet setup to me. Absolutely. When the Spanish arrived in the Yucatan in the 1500s, the native people served them a dish of corn tortillas and pumpkin seed sauce called food for the lords. Oh. It sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. The Spanish must have liked it because they took the seeds back to Spain where it spread and diversified. And lots of New World foods took a while to catch on, like remember the tomato? Uh, But the pumpkin was similar enough to squashes that already existed in the Old World, but kind of had a better flavor. So so it caught on pretty much immediately. Yeah. They didn't have to wait around to become popular. And this is around about the time the word pumpkin first appeared. It originates from the Greek word meaning large melon. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. In 1547, the English started using pompignon or pompion. I'm saying this with a French accent that the English certainly didn't use. But <laughs> it, 
It didn't appear in written records until 1647. Uh, and that term comes from the French. Oh, uh, good. Pompion is, yes, the, the French word for, for pumpkin. Um, and it was around that time that a bunch of European recipes for pumpkin custards began to appear. Within the lower classes, anyway. Uh, through the 1700s, upper-class Europeans referred to pumpkins as ordinary, mean, unsubstantial, and frequently cultivated by the country people who plant them upon their dung hills. I am taking this as a personal affront. <laughs> I am very offended. And I can't understand why people keep insulting foods. I've I just know, never right? insulted a food been like, that food is mean. Unsubstantial. I, I guess I've gotten kind of mad at, like, I don't know, maybe something that I couldn't eat. If it's difficult to peel, sometimes I get frustrated, but oh, I don't. That, that pain melon. The pain melon. Oh. Oof, that was rough. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't blame the pain melon. I kind of do. I wouldn't want to get eaten necessarily. Okay. But. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Anyway, um, once the pilgrims started settling in North America, they wholeheartedly embraced the pumpkin which the Native Americans introduced them to, in part due to its hardiness. They used it in desserts and side dishes and soups. The pumpkin was the star of the first Thanksgiving, as evidenced by the 1633 poem entitled New England's Annoyances. Huh. For pottage and puddings and custards and pies, our pumpkins and parsnips are common supplies. We have pumpkins at morning and pumpkins at noon. If it were not for pumpkins, we should be undone. <laughs> undone. Which I, is undone. I, I'm Sh- going sure, to just assume. within the rhyme scheme. Yeah. 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 Love it. Yeah. But they weren't using it in a way most of us are familiar with. The pumpkin. Yes. Right. The pumpkin, yes. Uh, what they would do is cut off the top, remove the seeds, and then they'd fill the inside with eggs, cream, honey, and other spices. Then they'd bury the whole thing in the hot ashes of fire Wait till it was done. Don't know how they knew, but all right. And they scoop out the inside, including the pumpkin flesh, and serve it as sort of a custard. So yeah. kind of an early version of the pumpkin pie, kind of. Yeah, and, and they wouldn't have had apple pie that early, probably. Uh, you know, because squash can grow in a season, but decent cooking apples take years and years, yes. as we have discussed before. Yes, we have. Early New England colonists also used the pumpkin for a haircut template. I want to know so much about this. They did it to make sure they achieved a clean, uniform cut, which earned which earned them the name, the nickname Pumpkinheads. Ooh, I know. I just don't know how. But anyway, (laughs) I will look into that after this. Um, In the 1670s, one of the first published pumpkin recipes appeared in John Jocelyn's New England Rarities Discovered. The recipe called for cooking down ripe pumpkin for a day. And then adding butter and spices. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Simple. The pilgrims were also known to make pumpkin beer by fermenting it along with maple, sugar, hops, and persimmons. And through the 17 and 1800s, pumpkin was a relatively common ingredient in beers in the uh, uh, pre-United States, I suppose, um, due to its availability. Whereas uh, malt and hops were a little bit more rare. Um, There's recipes for mashing out pumpkin juice the same way that you would do with apples, then hopping and fermenting that juice as you would with a beer. And uh, for beers that start with malt and hops and dried apple and pumpkin, plus other stuff like rye and birch and and other flavorings. There's actually a later verse of that pumpkin louding poem or pumpkin annoyance poem, like like why are there all of these effing pumpkins everywhere, Mm -hmm. uh, that reads thusly. 
If barley be wanting to make into malt, we must be contented and think it no fault, for we can make liquor to sweeten our lips of pumpkins and parsnips and walnut tree chips. <laughs> liquor to sweeten our lips. I know. I have to say, I like this poem. And also, pumpkin seems to show up in a lot of poems, because we were talking about some more later. Yeah. Fun, fun thing to look out for. Uh, pumpkin did fall out of prevalence in uh, beer here in the Americas until the 1980s or so in the craft beer movement. More about that in a little bit. Yes. Speaking of pumpkin pie, what about pumpkin pie? Oh. Yeah. Uh, there were recipes for a stewed and sweetened pumpkin mixture wrapped in pastry all the way back to medieval times. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the recipes you find in medieval European cookbooks were modernized in later prints by replacing squash with pumpkin because, as Lauren said earlier, when pumpkin came around, it was kind of a, just seen as a tastier replacement for squash. Yeah. In 16th and 17th century England, some of the more well-off were familiar with a type of pumpkin pie that sometimes involved stuffing apples into the shell of a pumpkin. Ooh. So you're using the pumpkin as the coffin in this instance. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But it went out of fashion in the, in the 18th century. And of note is the 1650s passage by Edward Johnson about a sign of progress in New England being that people were eating, quote, apples, pears, and quince tarts <laughs> instead of their former pumpkin pies. So, a.k.a. they were eating the more civilized European non-native Not that mean, unsubstantiated pumpkin. Yeah, jeez. Tough crowd. However, the 1800s is just about the time that the American colonists started the trend of serving a sweetened pumpkin dish at holiday gatherings, in particular like Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. In 1796, Amelia Simmons's cookbook, American Cookery, which I'm pretty sure we mentioned before, had a recipe for pumpkin puddings that were baked in a crust similar to what we would have today. And there's a fun story about a small town in Connecticut in the 1800s. They postponed Thanksgiving a week to wait out a molasses shortage that impacted pumpkin pie. Oh, making. wow. It was so important to the meal. They were like, hold up. Yeah. We're going to have to put this off for a week, everybody. I hope we're all on the same page here. Because <laughs> I'm not doing Thanksgiving without my pumpkin pie. That's blasphemy. I feel the same way. Yeah. I didn't until recently. I actually, I love pumpkin, but I've only kind of been newly introduced to it. Anyway, back to the pumpkin pie. Uh, it even popped up during the Civil War. This dessert was far more near and dear to the hearts of New Englanders. And since many of the most outspoken abolitionists were from New England, pumpkin pie would feature in some of their writings. Oh. Lydia Marie Child's 1842 poem about Thanksgiving in New England ended with the line, Hurrah for the pumpkin pie! Oh. On top of that, Sarah Josepha Hale, who, as we've mentioned before, is considered the mother of Thanksgiving and is one of my Favorite, most bizarre things I ever got to work on for Stuff Mom Never Told You, our history segment. So go check that out on YouTube if, you, if you're if you interested. It's hilarious. She included a brief mention of pumpkin pie in her 1827 anti-slavery novel, Northwood. Quote, yet the pumpkin pie occupied the most distinguished niche. Huh. <laughs> yeah. After Abraham Lincoln designated Thanksgiving a national holiday in 1863. Due to this lady's campaigning. Yeah, her letter-writing campaign. And he did that. uh, He gave in to this letter-writing campaign in part as an attempt to heal the country after the Civil War. 
angry Southerners saw it as a way for Northerners to impose their traditions on them. Oh, with, no. Yeah, I know. With one editorial out of Virginia claiming, quote, This is an annual custom of that people heretofore celebrated with devout oblations to themselves of pumpkin pie and roast turkey. Oh. Wow. Disgusting. I know. How dare they? However... With the help of recipes and write-ups printed in women's magazines, pumpkin pie spread throughout the land and became a traditional holiday dessert. Its status further solidified with the 1929 introduction of Libby's Canned Pumpkin, which made pumpkin pie baking all the easier. And by the way, Libby's currently dominates the canned pumpkin market in North America at over 90%. Wow. That pumpkin monopoly. Quite a corner on the market there. Yeah. Way to go Libby's, I guess. I suppose. Whew. Okay. So let's let's step back a bit uh-huh. and look at the other holiday pumpkins are associated with. Halloween! It's my favorite holiday. Me too. The earliest jack-o'-lanterns come to us courtesy of the Scottish and Irish, who originally carved turnips and potatoes. Whew. The English might have used beets. Man. Then uh, they would put hot coals inside these root vegetables, but it sounds kind of difficult, yeah? <laughs> you know what might be easier? Literally anything? Oh, uh, yeah. But well, also... Not literally anything, but probably a pumpkin. <laughs> probably a big, fat, round pumpkin. Yeah. When European immigrants arrived to the colonies, they saw the cheaper, more easily sourced, and more easily carvable pumpkins, and they made the switch. I would imagine it didn't take much. Uh, The first written instance of jack-o'-lantern in the context of a carved fruit or vegetable, by the way, was in 1837. And the Pumpkin Association first was recorded in 1866. An etymological note, uh, why jack in jack-o'-lantern? Well, since the 1300s or so in England and later in the United States, uh, the name Jack was applied as a generic term for any male human person. Uh, hence, uh, Jack of all trades, every man Jack, Jack the Ripper, and etc. So, uh, so Jack or Lantern was just Jack of the Lantern, like, you know, like the dude with the lantern. So, hmm. yeah. Fun naming note. Okay. For someone who loves Halloween, I actually didn't know... The myth, the story behind the jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. So this is super fun. This yeah. is a really fun one to research. Yeah, it's a it's a terrific old folk story, um, and it comes to us from the 17th century Irish tale of Stingy Jack. Yes, Stingy Jack. So let's let's set the mood here. Let's set the scene. Yeah. Jack was a drunk and the ultimate manipulator. And when Satan, yes, that's Satan. Uh-huh got wind of this fella. He was a bit jealous. He wanted to prove he was superior in evilness and debauchery to this Jack. So one night when Jack was drunkenly stumbling around, as he was wont to do, he ran into Satan looking to collect his soul. (laughs) Jack convinced Satan to allow him one last drink. But when the bill comes due, wouldn't you know it, but Jack doesn't have any money. That's where the stingy bit comes in, I'm guessing. So he convinced the seemingly gullible Satan to turn into a silver coin to pay for said drink. But instead, Jack pocketed Satan in his now coin form next to his handy crucifix in his pocket so Satan couldn't transform back. 
Jack would only set him free after he convinced Satan to leave him and his soul alone for one, or ten, depending which story you look at, years. How he had this negotiation with a coin? That's beyond me. Anyway, when Satan came at the end of their agreed-upon term, Jack tricked Satan... Again. (laughs) Again, by getting him to climb a tree for a piece of fruit that Jack wanted as his last meal, and then Jack quickly placed a bunch of crucifixes to keep Satan up, up stuck in the tree. (laughs) All like a kitten. I know. Kind of adorable. And I really want more details on that conversation. How did he convince him to climb a tree for this piece of fruit? Anyway, this time Jack bargained with Satan to never take his soul to Hades. And what I imagine as a hands-thrown-up type move, Satan agreed. Alas, when Jack finally drank himself to death years later, he was refused entrance into heaven for his deviousness. And as per the deal he struck with Satan, he couldn't go to Hades either. Satan, still mad about how foolish all the trickery had made him look, sentenced Jack to wander a never-ending night with only a lit coal as his light. Jack placed the coal in a hollowed-out turnip and went about his miserable way for all eternity. The Irish gave him the name Jack of the Lantern, later shortened to Jack-o'-lantern, and the tradition of carving root vegetables and later the pumpkin with scary faces was meant to frighten Stingy Jack and other spirits like him away. Ooh, yeah. Hope that gets you all ready for October. Yeah. For the fall. I love that story so much, and I can't believe I never heard it. It's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, also, also vaguely related to Halloween, um, if you ever have the chance to check out uh, Dia de los Muertos Festival, look for a sweet treat called uh, Calabeza en Tacha. It's a soft, uh, semi-candied pumpkin preparation that involves uh, unrefined sugar syrup and guava and cinnamon, and it's stewed so that the pumpkin fibers soak up all of that flavor. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. I've always wanted to check that out. Okay. Now I'm kind of like spooked out. <laughs> Here's something to kind of bring bring you back, bring okay. you back. Uh, the global pumpkin growing competition market uh-huh. may have been kickstarted by the World's Fair in Paris in 1900 and the showing there of a 400-pound pumpkin specimen. It's about 181 kilograms. Wow. Well, from there... Let's jump skip to 1903 in the home of a large pumpkin cannery, E. Sears Canning, in Circleville, Ohio. Each fall, farmers whose wagons overfloweth with pumpkins, they would make the trek to the cannery to get their products canned. In response, in 1903, the mayor announced Circleville would hold an annual autumn produce festival with pumpkin in starring roll. During the Great Depression, E. Sears Canning was forced to shutter its doors, but the festival still continues to this day under the name The Pumpkin Show, the largest pumpkin festival of its time. Ah. There's a largest pumpkin contest, largest pumpkin pie contest. I want to be involved in that so badly. Ah. And a Miss Pumpkin pageant. <laughs> I love these, like, little small festivals. They're oh, great. yeah. And there are, as I'm sure you could guess, many, 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 many pumpkin festivals. Pumpkin Chunkin, the Art and Pumpkin Festival in California, and there's some amazing, just truly stunning jack-o'-lantern displays at a lot of these. I recommend looking them up. I want to see one in real life so badly. Oh, yeah. I have a friend. She sent me a video of one she was at last year. I think she was in Salem. Oh, Oh. man. 
I was so jealous. Oh, if you guys have any good photographs of that kind of thing, send send them on in. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, pumpkins is a food. Meanwhile, we are still a food show. Yes. Um, in the United States, anyway, fell out of fashion for a bit between uh, World War One and World War Two, but picked up again with the uh, surge in trick or treating that came about during the post World War Two era which was that golden age when the streets were paved with candy and young baby boomers. Not literally paved. That would be gross. Um, there, there was another bit of a dip in pumpkin eating around here from the 1970s through the 90s as the squash was bred more for, for carvability yeah. than for uh, taste and texture. But another trend would bring it back from the ashes yet again. I wonder what it could be. Oh, we'll find out after another quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very of all slow. The, of all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Okay, so it's time to talk about pumpkin spice. Oh, yes. pumpkin pie spice, pumpkin spice, yes, yes. that whole 
uh, pumpkin pie flavor combination of of sweet slash savory squash plus nutmeg plus cinnamon. Yeah. Uh, And I bet a lot of you can guess what started this trend. The 2003 release of the Starbucks Pumpkin Spice Latte. Oh, those PSLs. Yes. Trending on Twitter probably as we speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, between launch and 2013, Starbucks sold 200 million pumpkin spice lattes. And that, that was as of 2013. I'm sure it's a lot more these days. Yeah. Uh, and that's extra not bad for a product that Starbucks wasn't even sure about to begin with, um, given that the flavor overpowers that of coffee and is more easily reproducible than high-quality coffee, which ostensibly Starbucks wants to be known for primarily. You would think. Ostensibly. Yes. Once it caught on, they were like, oh, well, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. We'll just keep going with this one. Uh Uh-huh. Sales of pumpkin spice-flavored products jumped 14% in 2013 to almost $350 million in the United States. Most of that was pumpkin pie filling, but Chobani announced that its limited release of pumpkin spice yogurt in 2014 was the most successful in its history. Yeah. My goodness. And here's a number for you. 130%. That's the increase of pumpkin as an ingredient in beverages since 2006. Whew. And pumpkin use on beverages menus. Beverages alone? Oh, my goodness. Just beverages. And I, I really do think Starbucks is like, that, that was the pinnacle it all met at this point, and <laughs> <laughs> now we're still living with the consequences. Um, and pumpkin use on menus has risen by 10 times since 2006. Uh. Yeah. A majority of pumpkin spice product sales do take place in the fall, 70% falling ah! between September and November. And a survey conducted in 2014 found that 34% of the little over 1,000 of adult participants named pumpkin spice as the number one flavor they associated with fall. Ah, yeah, makes sense. Sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the midst of all of this, pumpkin beers have enjoyed some serious seasonal resurgence. Starting in 2004, Seattle Brewery Elysian has hosted a great pumpkin beer festival every September and or October, which this year will feature over 80 individual pumpkin brews. BeerAdvocate.com, a great website, currently lists 1,399 examples of pumpkin ale having been professionally produced and sold worldwide. Whoa. That's a lot. Yeah. Many of them were probably like one-time offerings, but nonetheless. Like pumpkin and or pumpkin spice in general, these beers are uh, divisive? Yes. Yeah. Many are just super sweet and or super spiced and uh, can range in flavor closer to, like, Yankee Candle than beer. My current favorite pumpkin beer diss comes from the 2014 Paste Magazine review of Southern Tier Warlock Imperial Pumpkin Stout, which it said tastes like, quote, decades-old easy-bake oven brownie mix rehydrated with black licorice liqueur. Harsh words. If you have either a favorite brand or a favorite diss, write in and let us know. I love that you have a favorite diss. I've read a lot of them. Oh, have you? I kind of, I'm not a fan of pumpkin beer. I have some that I like. I, I, yeah. I like very dry flavored alcohols, so. I do too. And I love pumpkin and it is difficult to get a pumpkin beer right. But I have had, I've had like a handful that I like. And I do this thing every Labor Day weekend where I get summer beer 
and usually pumpkin beer or fall beer. And uh. I say goodbye to summer and hello to fall, even though fall doesn't technically start then. That's just my tradition. Oh, no, that's lovely. I thank you. And here is a quick list of some of the weird pumpkin items you might encounter in the fall. You've got pumpkin spice marshmallows, peeps, pumpkin spice yogurt, pumpkin spice sandwich bread, pumpkin spice popcorn, pumpkin spice chips, pumpkin spice almonds, pumpkin spice morsels, pumpkin spice Pringles, pumpkin spice vodka, (laughs) pumpkin spice whey powder, pumpkin spice Oreos, pumpkin spice (laughs) fettuccine, pumpkin spice garbanzo beans, and it goes on and on. I had to cut myself off. I'm sure you guys have seen these products. There's an astonishing amount of that. Oh, yeah. And that we didn't, I mean, if we go into like lotions and perfumes, that's oh, a whole other thing. Air fresheners. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, I stumbled across a tutorial on how to turn a pumpkin into a beer keg. <laughs> oh, oh, um, that, that great pumpkin beer festival features a giant pumpkin every year um, uh, f- from their website. A several hundred pound pumpkin that is scooped, scorched, filled with Elysian Pumpkin beer, sealed, conditioned, and then tapped at the fest for all to enjoy. Okay, now I want to check this out. There are so many things I want to see. Field trip to Seattle. Yes. Uh, also, apparently, pumpkin pie Kit Kat bars are coming to the United States this fall. I might try one of those. I've had the pumpkin pie Reese's. Reese's Ooh. and Kit Kats are like my two favorite candy. Yeah? So huh. I might have to. Pumpkin spice aside, uh, eating pumpkins is actually pretty good for you. Um, I mean, you know, before you've added crap tons of sugar yeah. and cream or butter or whatever into them. Um, uh, pumpkins are high in fiber. They've got a touch of protein and they're low in sugars and fats, which means that they are low calorie but super filling. Um, they've also got a ton of beta carotene and are good sources of a bunch of other vitamins and minerals like uh, like vitamin C and potassium. Uh, because of the moisture in pumpkin pumpkin puree, it can be used as a as a good substitute for cooking fats in baked goods, especially quick breads like muffins or, or banana bread type things. And you can make your own puree if you want. Uh, carving pumpkins, for example, are totally edible, but pie pumpkins are also widely available in the United States and have a nicer flavor slash texture. Due to their fiber content, pumpkin is also really great for controlling both constipation and diarrhea. Hey, uh, fiber gets the bowels moving and also absorbs excess water in the bowels. Uh, for that reason, it's a popular treatment for digestive problems in pets. Just a teaspoon or two mixed in with your cat or dog's food can work wonders. Yeah, I did come across that a lot when I was researching this episode. Oh, no, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the seeds are a little less healthy, but still a totally decent snack. They're, they're high in good fats and have a good, good amount of like high-quality proteins. Um, the type with the white hulls are a better source of fiber than pepitas, and thus are a little bit more filling. I, I always clean the seeds from my carving pumpkins and roast them, uh, usually just with a sprinkle of, like, vegetable oil and salt. Mm. One of my favorite things. Huh. And uh, as we said earlier, you can also eat pumpkin blossoms. Yeah. Like zucchini blossoms, they're pretty excellent breaded and fried. Not so healthy, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> or you can use them the way that you would uh, any other delicate green, like I think like spinach in a, in a soup or a stew. Yeah. I have... Three recipes I go to fairly often with pumpkin. Pumpkin bread. Oh, I love. Um, pumpkin enchiladas. Also good. Pumpkin enchiladas. Yes. Ah. So good. And pumpkin chili. Huh. Mm-hmm. Pum- <sighs> Look how versatile it is. I'm oh, my goodness. You. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that brings us to our culture bit. Yeah. Okay. So first, pumpkin chuckin'. Yes. Pumpkin chuckin'. Yeah. So... In 1986, a blacksmith by the name of John Ellsworth started what would become the world champion pumpkin chuckin'. (laughs) 
an annual event in which growers and engineers come together to see who can hurl a pumpkin the furthest with neither electricity nor explosives involved. Just their brain because we can. Yes. Uh, the, the competition claims to be the oldest of its kind, and I couldn't find any evidence to the contrary, though the uh, sport has spread through the United States, certainly, and has even popped up in Europe. Teams build whatever kind of device they want within the parameters, uh, uh, catapults or trebuchets or air cannons, and uh, send their weight-specified pumpkins a flying. The industry standard seems to be 8 to 10 pounds per pumpkin. Hmm. Yeah, I'm glad they got a standard. Yeah. The record distance, according to Guinness, is just over 5,545 feet, which is about 1,690 meters. Not uh, so unsubstantial at all. Hey! Hmm. Medieval Europeans. Yeah, take that. Take that. Huh. Uh, unfortunately, the original world championship is canceled this year due to an injury at last year's comp- competition and some uh, pending litigation. But we hope that um, that everyone everyone is mentally and physically doing better next year and able to come back to us in 2018. Yes, we do. And speaking of competitions, giant pumpkins. Yes. There are both regional and global pumpkin growing competitions, and they are a serious obsession for the growers who enter. A careful genetic cultivation has grown the field explosively. Hey. Uh, uh, in the past couple decades, just 15 years ago, 1,000 pounds was this unheard of goal. And now the top winners are more than double that. These giant pumpkins can grow up to 50 pounds per day. Per day. During peak growth season. Apparently, the secrets, aside from starting with like perfectly cultivated seeds, are um, pruning your vines to just a few fruits, getting the right amount of sun cover, feeding and watering them constantly, uh, using friendly fungi to help nutrient transfer into the roots, and uh, protecting their skins from cracks, and covering them overnight to keep them at the right temperature, which just sounds so dear. Using using genetics, some growers and researchers are hoping to push growth even further. And there doesn't seem to be an, an eminent end to how big they could get. A, a paper published in the International Journal of Nonlinear Mechanics estimated that giant pumpkins of the proper shape could hold up their own weight up to 20,000 pounds, a.k.a. like 9,000 kilograms. I don't know if I saw a 20,000-pound pumpkin... Is there a horror movie about this? Because if not, there should be. Oh, yes. Oh, let's write it. Oh, we can use that jack-o'-lantern myth. Oh, it'll be so good. Oh, Stingy Jack and the 20,000-pound pumpkin. Oh, it's going to be excellent. (sighs) Look out for it, you guys. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, yeah. People get so excited about this. There's there's a yearly cruise for giant pumpkin growers. (laughs) Um, And... And, and I, I wanted to kind of end this, our pumpkin episode, on a quote from, from one, one such grower. There, there was an article about these competitions in Time magazine, and uh, uh, one grower by the name of Ron Wallace was quoted as saying, Have you ever heard anybody say a bad word about a pumpkin? No. Pumpkins could solve the world's problems. Honestly, everybody loves a pumpkin. They do. And to see one grow that big. Oh, my heart just I know. got so warm. <laughs> it's so sweet. It is. Oh. Okay. Uh, I have to say, if I was at a party and I overheard someone saying that they grew giant pumpkins as like a hobby, I'm going to go talk to that person. Oh, absolutely. I want to know more about you and your hobby. Do you think you can reach 20,000 pounds? That's, you know? Yeah. 
These are important party conversation topics. They are. Um, and you are welcome for <laughs> learning from us about these party topics. Yeah. There is so much we could have unpacked in this episode. I think the pumpkin spice latte alone. Um, it's a deep cultural phenomenon. It is. And over on Stuff Mom Never Told You, we did one kind of about the assumptions that come with it. Uh, the whole, like, basic thing. Yeah. So maybe we'll revisit some of this stuff because there's there's a lot surprisingly, <laughs> about the pumpkin. About the humble pumpkin. I know. Uh. And that brings us to the end of this, our classic fall-themed episode. It does. Um, you enjoyed it. We we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, if you have any pumpkin carvings, oh my gosh. <gasps> yes. Or pumpkin recipes or anything to do with pumpkins, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. Somebody did send us a pretty epic pumpkin soup last time we did this. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm really jealous of, I have a friend who lives up north, and they have those, um, like, jack-o'-lanterns, like thousands of them, you know, pathways. Oh, yeah. I've always wanted to see one of those. So Field, field trip. Yes. If you've been to one, you can send pictures our way. And you can do that at our email, hello at saverpod.com. You can also find us on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find us there at SaverPod. We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in, so you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough 
introspection that I learned something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast.